demons speak because they knew who he was. Hey, good morning. I want to say thank you to Brian for mentioning small groups. It is a small group night, and we're excited about that. If you have not yet had the chance to learn about those or sign up for one, we have our table in the back where you can still go ahead and do that. And there are a lot of things going on in this season of the year that are exciting. We want to welcome a new member this morning, John Evans. John, are you in here this morning? Uh, give, give me a wave or stand up if you're in here. He might not be here. Let's welcome him anyways. Uh, let's welcome him. He may be watching in online right now. John Evans has been with us for a while. And while we're mentioning that, we want to welcome everybody who's joining us through Facebook Live today. It looks like it might be quite a few people because with all of the storms we had last night and the flooding this morning, there's a lot of people that probably were not able to be with us this morning. So welcome to those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live. And uh, along with uh, things like our small groups, we have a mission season on us that John mentioned. Thank you, John, for telling us about the Eastern European Missions Lunch that's next week in the Combined Bible Class. And this season that we're in to consider our pledges and our giving to do international missions work in 2020. And one other great opportunity to make a local impact this Saturday, our Walk for Hope event. Uh, in order to walk a mile and raise some money to help the children's shelter of Northwest Arkansas build their brand new Hope Academy to serve children in this region. So many things that are going on, so much opportunity. It's as if our church is moving at the kind of pace that Jesus is moving in today's text. He's moving fast from one place to another. And he's facing some obstacles in the text that we are reading from today. And so are we. We have the obstacle of the rainstorms from last night, but we have power and purpose to move on through it, don't we, church? Amen? We have power and purpose with God to move through that. It seems as if, even though fall moved in on the calendar a couple of weeks ago, that she unloaded all of her furniture last night, right? Okay, so here we go. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin working through this text as we see a day of ministry in the life of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are in control of all things. You send the rain in its season. And last night, you decided to send a lot. You send us sunshine and fall weather, and you give us opportunities in the right time to make an impact in the world and a contribution for your sake. And we pray that you would bless the efforts of the small groups that are meeting tonight. God, would you give them a sense of close spiritual relationship, of trust, and of brotherhood? Would you help them to grow in the likeness of Jesus and be formed to him together? Would you use the Walk for Hope event this weekend to bless many lives and to make an impact on children? There are so many children in your big world that are in need of some help. And there are so many that we would like to help and we don't know how. But now you've provided for us an opportunity to make a difference with some children that are right here near us. Would you help us to step out boldly and to make an impact? God bless for your own name's sake, our mission season. 
help the people in this church to consider carefully the works that are being done around the world and to pray for them. To pray for people like Sasha and Helen and the others in the Ukraine video this morning. And to determine from our hearts what we could give to help these works continue. God, would you allow your spirit to rest on us and to fill us and to overflow through us and out of us in all of these opportunities and many more so that like Jesus, we can be about the business of bringing the kingdom into the lives of people around us, even unexpected people, people who maybe aren't uh, waking up this morning thinking that they're about to encounter the kingdom of God. Help us to leave in our wake wholeness and healing and restoration and love. Help us to love your people in this world as we love you. God, we know that you can do these things in us and you can give us insight into today's scripture through your Holy Spirit. Would you do that now? In the name of Jesus, we pray and all who agree together say, amen. So today we have a chance to read through a day in the life of Jesus. And next week, we will actually finish this day in the life of Jesus. Today, we get to look at the first two shifts. And next week, we get to look at what Jesus does on third shift. But today, we see him waking up on a particular day, a Sabbath day. A day of rest and worship for the Jewish people in the time of Jesus. A Sabbath day was a day that the Jews set aside for listening. It was a day to pay attention to what was going on in the home and to see what God was doing in the world. Sabbath day was a day of rest, but it was a day of rest with purpose, a day of rest with the kind of purpose that would help people reconnect with God and each other. This was a, a day that God had in mind for his great wish for the world that people would know and learn how to love God with all of their being and that they would love their neighbor as themselves. And the Sabbath day was the perfect day for this. The Jews would gather in synagogues, places of worship, and they would spend time there worshiping, reading from scripture and praying. And they would spend the rest of their day in their homes eating food that they had prepared ahead of time. And don't we all love it when the fridge is full? And you don't have to make anything that day. Boy, moms, isn't it a great idea that maybe we ought to have all the cooking done, right? Maybe we could even get dad to do it on the grill on Saturday so that the fridge is full on Sunday and you don't have to put together the whole deal when everybody comes home from church. You open the fridge and food just is flowing out. People gather around the table. They take something good to eat and they begin to talk. They see each other face to face. After a week of working and being distracted and facing different kind of obstacles, now they have an opportunity to be together, gathered around the worship of God and the table of fellowship and family at home. This is the day that we step into in this text when Jesus goes to the synagogue. And it's important to keep all of this in mind. Because it is a day of paying attention to what God is up to. As Mark relates the details of this particular day, he does so at a rapid pace. 
Mark, as we've already noticed, is known for moving quickly from one event to another. And he uses words like immediately and right after this and without delay. And as Mark relates the details of this particular Sabbath day, the details are just gushing out like a kindergartner who comes home from their first day of school and can't wait to tell you everything they've seen and everything they've learned. We see on this particular Sabbath day that Jesus has many opportunities to show two things. And I hope you'll write these words down. Jesus has an opportunity to show his power and his purpose. Jesus is going to face obstacles and distractions. Obstacles, opponents that he has to overcome with his power, and distractions that he has to overcome with his purpose. Our opportunity today, as we read about Jesus on this Sabbath day, is an opportunity to watch Jesus at work. There may be a few things in today's text that are worthy of emulation, like to copy and to put in your life and to do the way Jesus does. But mostly, this text seems to be about watching Jesus at work, listening to what he has to say, and seeing what God is up to through Jesus and how he shows his power and his purpose. Now, if you're looking for a quick take-home microwavable application for the day, maybe you could see in these stories that Jesus has a lot of compassion. And boy, couldn't our world use more compassion and more compassionate people and people who give others the benefit of the doubt and a chance. Maybe that could be your quick take-home application for today. But mostly this text is about watching Jesus at work. And what do we see when we watch him? Well, we notice how people react to him. So today, as we read through these verses a second time, look for how people react to Jesus. What do they say about him? What do they say to him? What do you learn about what they think about him? And some questions are sure to come to the surface of our minds. Like, are these people believers? Do they have faith in Jesus? They certainly seem to believe that he is useful. They put him to work healing lots of people. They all show up after the Sabbath day has ended at sunset, and they feel comfortable now asking somebody to work because the Sabbath day of rest is over. They flood to his door. They believe he is useful, and they see that he has healing to offer. They at least believe that much. But is there faith in the Christ? Is this a conversion experience for them? Is it a startling moment when they realize the direction of my life will never be the same after meeting him today? Or are they merely working the situation to get the most out of it while he's in town? We would notice as we watch Jesus at work on this day that there are demonic influences at play. And other questions may come to our mind like, should the modern reader take this seriously? 
In a post-enlightenment world when nobody believes in witchcraft and demons except for some neo-pagans out there, like, does anybody really think that this should be taken seriously? Even Christians have tried to demythologize this text of Scripture to say, surely this was just some disease, it was viral, or it was some kind of neurological problem. How is the reader supposed to encounter this text about demonic influence? And then why, if Jesus confronts an unclean spirit, would he shut it up? If this unclean spirit is willing to testify, you're the Holy One of God, the Son of God, why would Jesus say, be silent? Why would Jesus not take every opportunity to have somebody, even if it's from the opposition party, say the truth about him? And as all these questions are forming and circulating in our minds, we are looking with some silence and watchfulness at what Jesus is doing so that we can learn his purpose. So allow me now, even though I have said so many times that the point of this text is to watch and listen and to be silent, allow me the boldness to try to preach from this text that is about observing and know that I do this with humility and that I realize that it's far beyond me to say what Jesus wants you to do with these stories but because I've spent the week listening and praying I'll trust that God will say some things this morning through this text Let's read again from verse 21. And now we're looking at Jesus' power. Jesus has power to preach. And he has power to preach in a way that is startlingly clear, bold, and forthright. The text says they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now we know about Jewish teaching that those who taught often quoted many of the rabbis. They would cite different sources and they would mention that this one rabbi and his school of followers say this about the text, but there's opposition views, and they would like to lay out the details and tell you what all the options were. Now, we don't know what the preaching was like in Capernaum specifically, but we could imagine that there was a lot of this kind of citation of rabbis going on. Probably when Jesus shows up preaching authoritatively, he cuts all of that out. What we see in the rest of Jesus' ministry throughout the four Gospels is that he cites the Old Testament scriptures directly many times in his ministry. Something like 10% of the words of Jesus are direct quotations from scripture. He preaches directly and powerfully and the people aren't used to this. So they take notice 
immediately of this new and fresh and different church experience that they're in on Saturday morning. It is not what they are used to when they gather on Sabbath. But the people are not the only ones that notice the power of Jesus' preaching. As soon as the people have taken note, this man shows up in their synagogue who's possessed. And the demonic spirit, the dark power that has taken control of his life has also noticed that Jesus has power in his preaching. You see, the people haven't heard preaching like this, but the dark forces that have been lurking and watching and waiting haven't heard preaching like this either. And now they take note. Here is a person with power, a person who understands the purposes that God has through his scripture and for the people of God and who is very close very, very much high danger right now that he's going to get the people back on the right track. And so the dark power speaks. It interrupts. It provides an obstacle to this worship morning of listening to God. The man possessed cries out, and we have to think this is the voice of the demon and not the man. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In ancient times, many people believed that the way you gained power over a person or spiritual entity was by naming them. A lot of commentators think that what's going on here is the demon possessing the man is trying his trump card. He's playing his ace of spades. He, he says in front of everybody who Jesus is as a way of trying to gain control over the situation. Jesus will have none of it. Jesus won't even accept this witness and testimony. And as we'll see later in the book of Mark, and in the other Gospels. Jesus is never as interested in what somebody has to say about him with their mouth as he is the response of faith. People, in fact, say all kinds of things about Jesus, some good and some bad. He says about the things they say that are blasphemous about him that all of that can even be forgiven. And when Peter, one of his closest adherents, says, we know who you are, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jesus says, this truth is the rock I'll build my church on. It's less than a week later, on the mountain of transfiguration, that Peter, same guy, same song, different verse, sees Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and goes, all three of you are worthy of worship. And the voice from heaven has to say, nope, only one is worthy of worship, my son. Listen to him. Even when people say who Jesus is, they often don't understand what it means. And right now, Jesus is in a position where he probably does not want the testimony of a possessed man. He would probably like the people to have an opportunity to make a faith decision based on the evidence they see themselves. 
Take, for example, a text that we will not be reading in this sermon series. The beginning of chapter 2, it's only a page away, you can find it. Jesus heals a paralytic man. And when this man is brought by his friends to the house where Jesus is doing ministry, the doorway is so crowded and congested they can't get in, so they come through the roof. When Jesus sees him, he speaks to his truest need. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the people watching can't believe Jesus' testimony. How could he say that? Only God can forgive sins. That's a blasphemy. And then Jesus says, well, which is harder, to forgive sins or to heal a paralyzed man? Get up and walk. And when the man gets up and walks, the people have the opportunity to witness that Jesus is who he says he is, not because anyone says he is it, but because he can do things that no one else can do. He has power to preach, power that gains the attention of both people and dark powers, and he has power over the dark forces themselves. So Jesus looks at this demon-possessed man and he says to the demon inside, be silent, come out of him. And the evil spirit does its very best to disobey. The evil spirit, instead of being quiet, shakes the man violently and comes out of him with a shriek as if with its last effort to try to oppose Jesus. But his power is strong enough And the people are amazed and they begin to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And so because of this, the news about him begins to spread quickly around Galilee. You see, there's two theories about what was going on in in this moment right here. Either Jesus did not want news to spread quickly because he didn't want to get the Jewish authorities engaged too early and get the crucifixion moved up too quickly. He needs time to develop his disciples and teach people, spread the kingdom of God, so let's not rush it. Or he knows that the best way to get the word out is through viral marketing. And that if you tell them what they're supposed to tell their neighbors, they won't do it. But if you show them and they like it, they'll tell everybody they know. And here the people begin to do exactly that. When Jesus drives this demon out of this possessed man and shows that he has power over dark forces, it is a foretaste. Just a little bit of insight into what he is ultimately going to do. You remember that at the cross, Jesus not only suffered and died for our sins, but he broke the power of darkness. He broke the power of sin and death and Hades. Jesus used his spiritual son of God ninja skills and delivers a karate chop to the neck of death. Paul says as much in slightly different words in most of his letters. Jesus does a drop kick on Hades at the cross. At his resurrection, there's no doubt that the dark powers are not as strong as everyone thought that they were. Because someone stronger has come, someone more powerful has come. And this is just the smallest insight, a little foretaste of what is to come that Jesus has for you in your life to break the power of addiction that has been reigning inside of your mind 
to break the power of anger and hatred that's been reigning inside of our heart. To break the power of violence that has taken residence in our hands. Jesus has power to destroy these dark elements and to restore people. And it's for this purpose that he's come, to usher people into the kingdom of God where there's freedom and light. N.T. Wright tells a story about a ship that was sinking near the island of Great Britain. And while this ship was going down, a lot of people were in the underneath area of the ship where water was coming in quickly they had no direction to get out. It was dark, and they were going to die. One man who came down from up on the above section of the ship came down into the hold. He was not an employee of the ship. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't a marine or anything like this. He was just a guy who could come with some confidence, and he spoke to the people. He called them out. He told them where to go. He gave them directions about finding life vests. He calmed panicked children. He helped all of the crying people, and eventually they got almost everyone out of this boat, and then at the very end as the ship is going down, this man and just a few other rescuers drowned. And when N.T. Wright tells this story, he tells it to remind us that Jesus at the cross was on this kind of a rescue mission, pointing calmly and powerfully towards the light, helping people make a step in the right direction and breaking the fear and darkness that was controlling them, and then laying down his own life to secure the safety of those who were escaping. This is what he does for us at the cross, and right here, we begin to see it being unleashed in the world. Jesus has power also to give this kingdom of God to whoever he wants. And this shows up in today's reading in several ways. Think about the people he's giving the kingdom to. The blue-collared fisherman that we learned about last week. A possessed person. Not usually who you think of as the way you start a new congregation. Right? Let's go get the possessed people. He's about to heal a woman who was sick. And she takes a, a startlingly important role in the story, even though she's a woman in a world that usually ignored women. He calls, uh, in the next chapter, a tax collector. A tax collector is an unlikely convert in ancient Judaism. They were considered traitors of their people. It's probably more likely um, that Donald Trump would invite Nancy Pelosi to the Christmas ball than that a rabbi would invite a tax collector to follow him. He heals a paralyzed man. He heals a man with leprosy at the end of chapter 1. They were outcasts. They were infectious these were people that would have had pus flowing on their body, their body parts falling off, skin peeling away. And he touches these people. He has power to give the kingdom of God to whoever he wants. And there is a startling immediacy to their inclusion when he interacts with them. 
unlike the hoops and the hurdles that people often feel like they have to go through to be accepted at church, with Jesus there is this immediacy to their acceptance. He speaks to the possessed man and the man is whole. He touches the hand of the sick woman and raises her up and she is able immediately to prepare food and to serve him. And by the way, this is not demeaning to her. She is the only person in these stories today who responds by serving Jesus. She has a place of great honor in these stories. You see, when we think about human beings going through the world on our missions, with our power, whatever that may be, our money, our influence, uh, our groups of friends that are all ready to, to, to enact some mission in the world, people will start things, projects and homes and missions. We'll make judgment calls. We'll decide how things ought to be done. And in our wake, we often leave collateral damage. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen some hurt that resulted from a really well-intentioned goal? Man, I've done it. I've tried to start church projects. and I've given lessons where people came up to me afterwards with tears in their eyes and said, do you know how that hurt me? Oh, I didn't. We leave collateral damage in our wake all the time when we exert our power. But Jesus leaves collateral wholeness. Every person he touches and the people around them are more restored than they were before. And this is because Jesus knows his purpose and how to use his power. And as we finish looking at this text today, think about the purpose that he shows as he does these things powerfully for people. Because he is tempted with distractions. Like when a possessed guy shows up at church and interrupts your preaching. There's a lot of ways that could be dealt with. You know, he's got bouncers now. He just hired a bunch of burly fishermen. Just, you know, usher him out, fellas. Let's continue. He's got options here. But he pays attention to the people who are hurting the most. He wants to extend the kingdom of God to the most marginalized and the least paid attention to. And his purpose is so sharp that his preaching is not just to be impressive, but his preaching is to ignite faith. And again, we're faced with this question, do they really believe or don't they? And we see the woman healed. He takes her hand and we know there's at least some hope here. Some people get it. Some people see a God of power and all they think of is, whoa, that's a big bank account. How many, how many withdrawals can I make from that power in my life? And other people begin to serve him. Preaching to ignite faith. And for you and for me, if we see this Jesus... And faith is beginning to light within us and to burn within us. The way we will know is not just that we turn to him with our needs, although we will do that, but it's that we will begin like that woman to serve out of love. We will have a fire in us to do something to make a difference. Maybe for some of us this weekend, it's going to be this Walk for Hope event 
We want to make an impact on our neighbors and on children in the world, and we're frustrated that we can't seem to get into all of these places where children are hungry or the places where they're being ramrodded through the political system and drug across borders from one nation to another. We want to do something, but we don't know what. And God's put on our table here an opportunity to make a difference serving the lives of children. And at the same time, incredible possibility. You know, it's so easy to buy a $25 entry into this walk. And it's not that much harder to buy a half a dozen of them and give four to your neighbors and say, we bought these four in your honor. Would you like to go walk with me on Saturday for the children's shelter? It's really kind of an easy way to share your faith publicly, isn't it? And it can show the power of God on his purpose for the weak and the least of these and the people that are marginalized in the world by simply saying to our friends and our neighbors, look, we want to make a contribution to society that matters. Come and walk with us. This is what happens when hearts come alight with faith in the Christ. We see Jesus' purpose. He's distracted by people who come to his door and want him to heal and heal and heal all night long. And they would have showed up twice as many the next day and four times as many the day after if he would have let them. Next week we're going to read about his prayer in the wilderness and how he goes and he seeks silence and how he seeks his purpose in front of God's face. But we can see right here that even though he's distracted by all these people that want to be healed, Jesus is also about restoring these people, not just to health, but holistically restoring them to the kingdom of God. This means their, their minds and their hearts and their hands and what they put themselves to work doing. It's the whole person. You see, a lot of times when I was growing up, I heard Jesus portrayed in ways that I think were designed to try to get me to like him. When I was a kid, a little small kid in the 1980s, Jesus was presented to me frequently as meek and mild. He came in this white robe and a blue sash. I always wondered why a guy would wear a dress like that, but he was meek and he was mild. He was gentle, right? He was so meek and mild that when he'd show up on the flannel graph, I figured he wouldn't even swat a mosquito that was buzzing in his ear. He'd just be like, hey, little guy, eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? Meek and mild Jesus. In the 1990s, I remember Jesus being presented as the cool Jesus, the rebel Jesus. We had a teacher at our Bible camp who was a cool preacher. Uh, like Greg, he rode a motorcycle. And this preacher would come to our Bible camp and he'd ride in on his motorcycle and pull right up next to where the class was at. He'd shut it off, right? He'd swing off of there in his leather jacket. And he'd walk over. I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Rose. I remember thinking, you know, his last name sounds like meek and mild Jesus, but his attitude looks like cool rebel Jesus. And preacher Rose from near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania would teach us about Jesus and he was so cool. And he was so startlingly different than what we had always thought meek and mild Jesus was. 
And so I could now picture Jesus uh, riding onto the flannel graph on his steel horse and off into the Galilean sunset. In the 2000s, I remember encountering a picture of Jesus where he was everybody's best friend and maybe even a boyfriend. Jesus was so laid back and comfortable with you that he'd be kicked back in his hammock on the PowerPoint, eating a cliff bar and offering you some water from his Nalgene. And by the way, it was BPA-free. Jesus was a great friend. In all of these pictures of Jesus that we have, I wonder which one Jesus was aiming for this Saturday morning at the synagogue. When he shows us that he is different, but he's not a pure rebel. You know, rebels don't go to church. They don't participate with the community of God. They leave it in the dust and they ride off into the West and they say, I don't need others. I've got a spirituality of my own. And Jesus instead, he goes back to the people. He goes back to the people. He's in worship with them. He's calling the people of God to be transformed. But he's also not a pushover. He's not meek and mild milk sap. He comes into worship and he has a new bold word to speak. Jesus is not a rebel. He's not a rollover. He's a restorer. And he's here with the purpose of putting the people of God back on their mission to make a difference in the world and to do collateral wholeness with people. And Jesus' purpose is about delivering people into the kingdom of God. It's about the light and the hope of the future age breaking in now so that people have hope so that when they think about Jesus in spite of the rest of their life circumstances they have some joy so that the spirit can take root inside of a heart and a, a leper and a forgotten woman and a possessed person and some tax collectors all have an opportunity now to know that they belong and that the spirit that has taken root inside of them is going to give them the fruits of more gentleness and patience and loving kindness and self-control. And it's going to spill out of them so that they become people who impact people too. So that they become people who, like Jesus, ask, who is the person I least expect the kingdom of God to get to? Let's take it there. Who's the person that least looks like a Christian? Let's take it there. Who's the person that's least acceptable to show up at Sunday morning church? Let's welcome them in. You see, Jesus is not a rebel who leaves the people behind, and he's not a pushover who just does things the way they've always been done. He's a restorer. He's on his purpose and mission with God, and nothing will distract him from using his power for it. This is the Jesus we're observing in the text of Mark. Would you stand together this morning? And as we sing this final song, maybe you'd like to pray with us to this Jesus and ask him about the concerns that you have and join him in his purpose. Maybe you know some obstacles and distractions that are in your life 
that have been keeping you from living out your faith and you're ready for God to remove them. So we've got elders right here down front and myself and a couple in the back who would love to pray with you. Let's sing out to the Jesus of power. <laughs>